0: Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we believe that in Christ alone, Lord, our salvation is found, our hope is found, our peace is found, life is found, all is found in you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we know that in our world there are trials and storms and struggle, but through all of it, you are constant, you are consistent. and For that, we thank you and we ask that now as we open your word that you would shape our lives increasingly into your very own image and help us this morning, Lord, would you open our ears to hear and our eyes to see that you might be glorified in us. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. If you would, turn with me. If you have a Bible, if not, there's one in the seat ahead of you, or you can follow on the screen. So Matthew 6, 25 through 33 is where we'll be reading this morning. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Now, um, just by way of reason, um, if, if you could, do me a favor that um, I know that we are a, a Pokemon gym, but if you could turn off Pokemon Go for the services and not do battle, that'd be awesome. Uh, anybody caught the craze? Um, Everybody's heard about it, no? Uh, anyway, well, I may or may not have played. So um, anyway, our students, the first service, it was like, pff. Now, what's crazy is like, I think the whole Pokemon card thing, that was like, like those are like 18 to like 20, mid-20s, that was like the thing when they were kids. So they, they even know like the shadows. They're like, oh, that's a snarlock or something. I don't even know, Right. Some of you are still like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Ryan. I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. So, um, Well, let's stop talking about that and talk about the Word of God. So Matthew 6, 25 through 33. So Matthew 6, 25 through 33 reads, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value of, of more value than than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? For the Gentiles seek after these all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. May God bless the reading of his word this morning, and might might he help us live our lives well in the day and age that he has placed us. Now, I don't know about you, but... But as I have watched the news over the last two weeks, there is a growing clarity in how broken our world is. Um, I don't know how much you've watched the news or seen it. Last week, we were responding to shootings in Dallas and uh, increasing shootings kind of all over our land, which has brought up kind of mountains of information about violence and death in our nation. Here's Here's some of the you know, the things as, we, as, we, as we've been looking at um, in this series, Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. It's without doubt that God, God has been and will continue to for all days do the same thing that he has always been doing. And this thing that God has been doing is that in the moment that he created all things, he made us all to work in perfect relationship with him. But sin entered this world, and there is a brokenness that began then and continues on to this very day. We see it all the way through the Old Testament, the brokenness, the brokenness of this world. But God, seeing our need, sent his one and only son into this world to die the death we deserve for his blood to be poured out, to heal us of our sin, to heal us of our brokenness, and bring us hope and peace with him again. And he increasingly wants to do that from then and today. He is recreating this world to be more and more and more like him. For his glory, his grace will cover will, will cover the earth as the water covers the seas. God's mission and his plan is, was, and will always be the same thing, no matter where we find ourselves societally. A few years ago... Uh, During the Richard, um, President Nixon administration, um, Loretta Lynn, I don't know if you all know who Loretta Lynn is, but Loretta Lynn was a country music singer, and that was back in the day when country was country, like Taylor Swift wasn't country, but country was country, right? Anybody knows country music? So Loretta Lynn went to visit President Nixon. And they took her up. Now, she's from the hills of Tennessee, right? And so she is in, it's like kind of Beverly Hillbillies moment. I'm having all kinds of references that half the crowd does not know. So Beverly Hillbillies moment, like she's walking through the White House. She goes in to meet the president. And she walks up and she says, Richard, it is so nice to meet you. And everyone gasps, like this moment of like, she just called him Richard. (laughs) And they whisper to her, it's President Nixon. And she goes, oh, well, I figured if Jesus is Jesus, why can't I call him Richard, right? (laughs) So another odd moment as she's in the White House, right? Just the name of Jesus in the White House might be a little bit awkward, but now she's calling Richard, Richard, right? There's something like kind of true inside of this little thing that she did, this Hills of Tennessee woman. We must not place any leader in greater authority than Jesus, and a little bit of how she saw the president was in how she saw Jesus. And I think for us, as we tap into government today, today you're going to find out how to vote, who to vote, maybe not who to vote for, because I don't even know who to vote for. And I mean, we're going to tap into some things today. But but there is just a general principle for us as Christians, we must not place any leader in greater authority than the one who has all authority on heaven and earth, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And we are participants with him in every facet of our society of spreading his grace and freedom available through him. His justice, a people, not, not only the message of the gospel, but also his justice. We're a people in a land living in freedom from the we are a people, as Christians, living in a land of in freedom because of what Jesus has done. The ramifications of sin is no longer ours, but, but we do see the ramifications of sin in our world. We see the destructive behaviors that are taking hope, hope and making people hopeless. We see there is a brokenness inside of our world. And what God is asking us to do and what he wants to do in the heart of every person is he wants to create an outward order in life resulted by an inward order in man through the person of Jesus. Jesus has come, and I believe that in our day, I I would pose to you, don't be hopeless about our time, because I believe that America, where we find ourselves today, is in greater hope of revival than we've ever been. I believe that there is clarity beyond clarity in what is true and what is false. False. I believe that there is more hopelessness and brokenness and that is what Jesus came to do is to step into the hopelessness and bring peace and step into the brokenness and make things right again. I believe that there is less, I believe there's less confusion on who believes in Jesus and who does not believe in Jesus. I believe the church in some ways is, and some would say this is being purified in our age of those who have genuine faith and those who do not have genuine faith. I believe we live in a time where there is greater clarity. And for us, as we rise up and stand, we could be a part of one of the greatest awakenings in our land and in our day than we've ever had. But here are some of the headlines that make us maybe at times be despairing in our world. So news headlines that were kind of how we're being made aware increasingly of the brokenness of our land. Terror attack in Nice, France kills 84. I mean, it was, I don't know if you watched the news, tragic beyond tragic what happened in Nice? Another, Russia's Putin signs law cracking down on religious minorities. Russia growing increasingly hostile toward the Christian. Conflicts are brewing in South China Sea and Korean Peninsula over territorial claims and missile defense. Boris Johnson, former mayor of London, named the UK's new foreign secretary. By the way, he provokes, he's pro-Russia, pro-Syria and wants Iran to have nukes. In Pakistan, a Christian family flees their village after an accusation of blasphemy. And in our own land, we just have like the squabble in the whatever of Washington. We see our political candidates and our political officials on trial with deceit and deception and truth somewhere out there that no one can ever grab a hold of. That's just this guy's interpretation of it all. We see, again, the Republican National Convention, it will be all over our news this week as it's in Cleveland. Conflict, scandal, bombings, thwarted bombings, police, race, and on and on and on and on and on. We see brokenness in our world. This week, I was in a waiting room and um, I was watching a TV. And I, I heard um, this lady make two statements in regards to the Nice truck attack. And this, kind of, in context, she had interviewed a man that was there and had witnessed it. And in her last and parting words to him, she said, "Sir, find hope in friends, well wishes, and thoughts of you, so that we might not let evil win." It was kind of her overarching statement toward this man. She says, find hope in friends, well wishes and thoughts of you so that we might not let evil win. I'll just say to you, I love my friends, but I do not find hope in them. Some of you are in this room, sorry about the bad news, I do not find hope in you today. (laughs) Your well wishes are nice, but they are simply well wishes. I like it when you think about me, but it kind of creeps me out all at once. When you think about me excessively, which I hope none of you do too much today after the sermon. (laughs) And then she says, so that we might not let evil win. Just so we're really clear to start out, evil is defeated. Evil will not win. Jesus has won. Victory is in the cross and victory is in Jesus. There is nothing in this world that will stop me. Jesus has called me and you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, an overcomer. That we will overcome the evil of this world because our Savior has overcome the world, the evil in this world. I've read the end of the book. At the end of it all, and just so you know, Jesus wins. Therefore, those of us who are in Him win. So, the evil of this world doesn't win through hope and friends and well wishes and thoughts. It is only through the person of Jesus Christ that we have any form of victory. So Matthew 6.33, I believe, is particularly helpful for us in regards to government and our priorities in our lives. So the first thing that we see in Matthew 6.33, we're going to, at the the last point, we're going to talk about the rest of the text we read. But we're going to work through Matthew 6.33 this morning. So Matthew six thirty three it says the, the, the beginning says but seek first the kingdom of God. So we must recognize our primary citizenship. We must recognize first our primary citizenship. But seek first the kingdom of God. Or man say it like this. I was reading this week. He says we are Americans best when we are not Americans first. I believe, and I'm hopeful for this, that the people who penned our Constitution, and the, the I didn't know them personally. Mike McCartney did. He says they were really great people, <laughs> right? But, but but, in this, I, I didn't know them, but, but I do believe, and I'm hopeful of this, that when they penned this, that they were not Americans first. They had a priority of the Lord in mind, and it informed them on the positions that they that they made in regards to our constitution and our way of forming government. But we are bombarded with the message in our lives of of finding a king who will make all things right. And that's what this whole political season will be about. And we will hear a message that there is a king that is coming that will make all things right. And just so you know, you're probably already aware of this due to the candidates that we will be voting for, is that there is not a king coming that will make all things right. But it doesn't matter who it is. There is no one that will come to make all things right. He's already coming. His name is Jesus. We live in a time where we are told that our hope rests on whomever is elected next. We find ourselves directing our lives towards where it is that our comfort and security will be best provided for under our best presumptions of that person's stances. In this text, it tells us this, and it's helpful It's helpful massively helpful for us. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. See, we all in this room have a kingdom. We have a place of reign and rule in our heart and our lives. Illustrate it like this, when I was a kid, some of you may have heard me tell it like this before, but when I was a kid, um, this time of year, we ate BLTs a lot growing up where I grew up. My dad at one, one year planted 126 tomato plants, right? He like carried a salt shaker in his back pocket, right? <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, you know, some people do other things. My dad salts tomatoes and eats them, right? That was his thing. And the, the rule growing up was you could put one and a half pieces of bacon on your BLT because my mother ruled the kingdom of bacon at my house, right? <laughs> And she dictated the rule and reign of how that was going to happen in my life. But now that I'm a man, right? And now that I reign and rule, I can put 15 pieces of bacon on my BLT if I want to. Because I don't care what anybody else says, because I'm in charge. And what I say goes in my kingdom. Amen? Row of three back there? Yeah. All right. And so, but, but silly way to illustrate, all of us, we call the shots in our life. Every person in this room has a kingdom, whether you like it or not. How you behave towards another is saying that, hey, this guy came at me, so you you attacked my kingdom. I'm coming back at you in this way, right? We, We all have a kingdom. But the kingdom, Jesus will say it like this, the kingdom has come And is coming. When Jesus comes, he's going to inaugurate a new kingdom, a new way, a life of peace and a joy underneath his reign and rule. And one day when he returns, he will take us up underneath his reign and rule forever. But today, that the kingdom of his God has come to rule in our hearts. So maybe God's word, as I contemplate my health and him being my temple, that 15 pieces of bacon might overrule. You know, maybe I should, like, stick with three, right? That might be reasonable. Now, that's a silly illustration. But, but the kingdom of God has come to rule and reign in our hearts. The priority of the kingdom, we see it in the book of Acts. Acts 1-3, it says, that He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The value of the kingdom is in Jesus' teachings. He says the kingdom of God is of heaven is like a a pearl, a treasure. It's the most valuable thing, the reign and rule of God, it's the most valuable thing that someone can possess. The central message of Jesus, we see it in Luke 8.1. We've been, if you were here in the the spring, in the book of Mark, we see this over and over: the kingdom of God. This is the message. In Luke 8:1, he says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the reign and rule of God in the hearts of men. The end of Acts 28.31 says boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see in the book of Acts, this is a history of the New Testament church. We see Acts 1.3 and 28.31 says Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God. And what's it finished with? Them teaching about the kingdom of God. The reign and rule of Christ is the message. And what he wants to do in our own hearts and lives in this room today is he is saying, let the rule and reign of Christ dwell in your hearts. Let him, his reign and rule, inform how you live your lives. And so your opinion is like really great and it matters a ton in America. But when you're standing before Jesus, it really doesn't matter very much. There's a story of a pastor him and this deacon were having trouble and so this, this pastor decided he was done with it and he called a meeting with him and they came in the office and the pastor turned and locked the door. The deacon became a little bit afraid of like what's about to happen and the pastor said both of us want to be in charge of this church and only one of us is going to leave this room in charge. They had a discussion. The deacon left the room and the pastor was now in charge. Now, that isn't saying anything about how I would lead or necessarily how that pastor was the right one to do that in that situation. But just so we know, Jesus in some ways has locked us in a room and there's only one person that can reign and rule in this world and in life. And he's going to come out as the one who reigns and rules. The question is, will you bow down to him? Each and every one of us. That we are citizens, right? Our primary citizenship is as a child of God, bowing down to the reign and rule of Christ. And this is somewhat difficult for us because all that we know is this kind of like uh, European kind of form of a queen who isn't really in charge in regards to kingdom. This isn't like a common thing for us when we speak of kings and queens and kingdoms, But a good way for us to think about it, I think, in our context is who is the one who reigns and rules in our hearts, in our lives, instructing us in all that we do and how we go about life. This is the good news of the kingdom that you no longer have to be in charge, but the one, the true king, he can reign and rule in your life and he will lead you into all righteousness and all hope and all peace and all joy in all things that you desperately desire in your heart and you long for and need. Now, I don't, that doesn't mean you'll have riches and treasures. Clearly, this is not what it means. None of these men that we read about in the New Testament had any riches or treasures. But the greatest riches I need is the hope and the joy and the peace through all circumstances and situations. They are available to me as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. All of the fathers, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let those heavenly things come into my flesh and work out through my life here today. And one day it will forever. So this also says in this text, so it says, but seek first the kingdom of God. So this is a priority. The the first is this, this this is the primary thing in my life, the kingdom of God. This is uh, yeah, the kingdom of God. So this means that we shouldn't seek other things first. It means that there's other things in our life that should not be a priority, that should not be that which we are seeking. And so what is that? Well, obviously sin. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Put to death what is earthly in you, anger, sexual immorality, lust, slander, obscene talk. Meaning that there are things in our lives that I should not seek after, that I should not go after. It also says even right before this in Matthew 6, 19, earthly pursuits, put them away. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So I should not seek sin. I should not seek earthly gain in all things. And I should not seek, and I'd say it like this, government. Finding my hope and my peace and my affiliation or my party lines this is not where it will be found. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute. We should make stances, and we should, we should have convictions, and we need to stand up for those things. But my primary hope, right, is not in government. My primary hope is I'm, all, I'm a part of the greatest government that has ever been established and ever will, and its reign will never end, and that is because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven today and one day forever, and I am sitting under the reign and rule of the greatest king, that will ever be. And he is the most kind and loving and gentle to those in his kingdom. But the reality of where we find ourselves is this isn't true. Now, there's definitely probably some in this room that you're just done with it. You're like, I don't even know why I'm listening to this. I'm done with the government altogether. I don't even think about it because I'm just frustrated with it and fed up. I don't know if anybody there? If <laughs> like, yep, okay. But there are those, and I think this is where we find ourselves as Christians, and, I, and I'm going to be honest with you, I find myself in and out of these things and have to be reminded to come back to the kingdom, is we have this idea of a utopian society. A utopian society is one that, that man, that if we could just elect the right person, that everything would be perfect. There would be no more harm, no more struggle, no more sin, everything would have order. And just so you know, that, that's going to come when Jesus returns, but that's never going to come in this world. And if that's your idea of America or government, you're always going to find hopelessness in that because it can never be achieved. And don't hear me saying, like, I'm giving up. I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if, if that's your view, I think you'll end up very hopeless in that. But on the same term, there's a siege mentality and the siege mentality is that I've got to fight everything and I have to go after it, and we have to win, win, win. Our voice, our platform, our place, we have to win, 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 win. And what happens when that is we maybe we're hopeless with utopian and then we just become mean with the siege mentality. And what I would what I would argue and what I would say today is what these both of these positions take us to is the people in our culture become enemies rather than our mission field. They become enemies rather than our mission field. Jesus was clear that he came to redeem all peoples, that this whole earth is his mission field, and we are his vessels in which the mission is occurring through, and he's using us in this end And it is a dangerous thing when those that he has sent us toward are our enemies rather than our mission field. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16, or John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world, that you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We will have struggles in this life There is no such thing as a utopian society. Our king has ruled in one, and we can rest in him and trust that he is doing his work in our day. Now, I know some of us want to say, hey, God, come on, don't you see all this junk down here? Like, you've totally messed up. You need to focus on this right now. But just so we're clear, God pretty much knows everything that's going on. He is well aware far more than you and I. And our job isn't to tell God what to do. Our job is to trust him and obey him. And so in this, that we must recognize our primary citizen by seeking first the kingdom of God. Second thing that we see in the text is that we, we the second that we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now when there's an and in these texts, what it's doing is is seek first the kingdom, right? And righteousness these are equal there 's not one above the other. These are two equal things in which we must pursue, and they 're different things, although they 're very connected so so what what do we do in regards to government for, in, in case of this? We require the righteousness of Christ to inform our position. We re- require the righteousness of Christ to inform our position. so it says, "Seek first the kingdom of God." And his righteousness. Now, the righteousness of God is fully displayed through the person of Jesus Christ. It says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus became sin, right? So that so that we might become righteous in our lives. Jesus displayed perfect righteousness as he walked in this world. He was without skit sin. He was without blemish. He was without error. He did not sin against God. One bit, one iota, and he was a perfect sacrifice whose blood was poured out to cover the sins of humanity. Jesus was perfect. He was perfectly righteous. Again, Jesus, no sin, no struggle. And he defined to us what a life was like with no sin. John 15, 5, he'll say, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That fruit, what it looks like, is Galatians 5: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we see this coming to root. And we all now, with unveiled faces, beholding his glory, as we look at him, are being trans transformed into his own image from one degree of glory to another. So he is transforming our lives, Jesus, into his righteousness. And so what we see about Jesus is he was the word in which came to flesh, John 1. John 1, a sermon about it just a few weeks ago, that he was full of grace, that he was full of truth. And he was full of, and hear this, truth. There is sinfulness in our world, and it can be defined. And the word of God is very clear on what is sinful, and Jesus engaged in nothing, none of it, but he also told us to allow his righteousness, who he was, to inform us. See, Jesus displays to us what sin is through his teaching and through his life. He clearly saw the Father, God, as one to be revered. And so do I hold a position that it is best for a government and all people to revere my God? Yes, I do. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I don't just say that to my government. I say it to all people that God is to be revered because my Savior did, John 17. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He'll say it over and over, for the glory of the Father, for the glory of the Father, for the glory of the Father. No one revered God more than Jesus Christ. And so in my life, I desire to revere him, and I will always take a position that all people should revere my God. Even if they don't, I will take that position. I take a position that he clearly saw human life with dignity. We see it in Genesis 1 and 2. We see it through the Old Testament that he, we were created in his image. Then before we were formed in our mother's womb, he knew us. So I believe... That the righteousness of Christ defines my position on abortion. That he showed dignity to the unborn. The righteousness of Jesus informs us on this and is clearly seen through this. And so I would say in this room: it is one of the greatest, greatest, greatest atrocities of, of our day and time. The students were sitting down here last service, and I said to them, that one of the greatest tragedies of our time is that five, six of their best friends were taken before they were even born. We have generations literally gone because they were, they were murdered in the womb. Now, I'll take this position to a place also of where I've dealt with it most is with the one who's had an abortion, and the person maybe you're in this room who have, and there's a deep brokenness inside your heart and life because of it. See, it's not just toward that unborn child in rebellion against God. It's also to the mother and the father who made the choice. And the deep regret that is held within that heart. And we say, we, in our society, we can say it all the time, that it's a woman's right. And I will say it is, it is one of the greatest things that will, will hurt and cause pain that can never be healed until Jesus returns inside of the heart of a person. And so Jesus, in his righteousness, informed me on how to see human life with dignity. He did, and so do I. Toward the unborn, toward every color, every facet of our society, every person. So here's here's my statement. All lives matter. All of them. Right? And Jesus informs me on this. It's not my stance. It's his. And I take it with him. We also see that he clearly saw sexuality between, only between a natural-born man and a woman. We see this in, in, in the text in Matthew. Take simple texts like Romans 1. When sin increases in a nation, it says, Your sin has become so wild that I've given you over to your own desires that man has traded natural relations with woman and traded it to man. The reality of this is is that there is a brokenness in our society that has distorted and disordered sexuality outside of the bounds of what God created man and woman to have their sexuality. My stance on homosexuality is not out of hatred, it's not out of anger, it's out of I stand with my Savior in his righteousness and taking a stand against sin. And again, I believe which causes great brokenness in hearts and lives. And I don't speak in it with anger or animosity or without love, but it is the stance in which I take and will always take in it, and the righteousness of Jesus informs me on this subject. He clearly saw race as something to be united. Nowhere, nowhere in the world should race be more united than in the church, and we are the most segregated group of people on the planet on Sunday mornings. When I was a kid, I went to a church in Alabama to do a work project over the weekend and they boasted on how they gave money to a black church downtown so they didn't have to come to worship with them. A friend of mine in seminary in the Mississippi Delta stood arm in arm with a young black girl on on a stage and said, if she goes, I go. 2004. Race is a real issue in our day. And we are a people. Us Gentiles, just so you know, you ain't Israel. You're not, we're not Jews in this room. We're the Samaritans. We, we are the ones that were like the castaways. Right? I mean, this is an astonishing thing if, if we read our Old Testament, New Testament, right? That we get to be partakers in the grace of God. Shame on us if we think that no one else can be partakers in our lives, with our lives, and outside of our lives, and especially in Christ. We should be. Christians, if we look at Jesus and he informs us, if he inf- informs our position on race, we should be the most united people on the planet, uniting people on the planet. And I believe in many ways, and I, I'm hopeful. One of the things, I, I, I've, I've been reading Facebook posts over the last two weeks, and I'll tell you stories maybe another day about Deb and I and how we went through this when we were in Memphis doing foster care, and we were a diverse home, and the tensions we felt in our own home. And so it's a really hot issue for me. But I'm so proud of my chapel family and how they've responded on social media. Just so we're clear on that. Like, I, I am so proud of my chapel family. Because there are so many different pieces of Christianity that I'm involved in over the nation, which has been appalling to me, things people have posted on social media. Like, kept me up at night struggling. And as far as I know, if none of y'all kept me up at night. So thanks for that. Jesus informs us on all of our positions. Jesus did not sin against God and was therefore righteous. We should seek this righteousness. And hold to standards of his righteousness. Ryan Johnston is not made righteous by the stances I take. I'm made righteous by the person of Jesus Christ. And his blood poured out for me on the cross. But I will and always will align myself. Align myself to where his righteousness informs my righteousness and my stances I take in this world. This world we live in is uncomfortable with Jesus. I think sometimes just because in his name alone, we feel tension. I mean, imagine this, this, this lady from the hills of Tennessee and the president just saying the name of Jesus in political circles can be, you know, can bring tension in that alone. In our society, just saying the name of Jesus in places, Jesus has always had opposition against him and he always will and I and I gladly bear his name and recognize that I'm probably always going to have some opposition against me in my life because I hold to I am a follower of Jesus and I will hold to his teachings and his ways. We feel the tension in in <clears throat> and we feel the tension in this. But we must rest in the completed work to establish the kingdom and live allowing his righteousness to inform our positions and his word to guide us in our lives. And the third, we must remember Christ and his promised provision. We must remember Christ and his promised provision. And it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, if we go back up in the text, what he's going to, there's going to be two illustrations. One, the birds of the air, the other, the flowers of the field. And each of these things, he says, as you look at these, in some ways, what Jesus is saying is, when he takes these two common things. I mean, have you seen a bird lately? Yes. Have you seen a flower lately? Yes, as he walked in. These things, as we see them, they're to remind us that he takes care of us, that I don't have to worry. If, if he'll take care of a bird of the air, how much more will he take those that he created in his very own image? When, when, I, see, when I see a flower of the field and I see it, it dressed in all of its splendor, do I remember that he will care for me in the midst of the struggle and the trial and the turmoil of this world? These things are are what people in this world, we, we worry about all kinds of things, but these things are in place. And he's saying to remember that I will take care of you. What he's saying in this text is trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. I've got this. I've got you. I will take care of you. That's my paraphrase. It's unending what could happen if we would trust him. We again, say it, we are Americans best and we are not Americans first. Let the gospel break into your heart. The gospel casts out all fear. The gospel casts out all anger. My hope is not in political parties. My hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, do I, again, do I have stances and, and opinions? I do. But my greatest opinion is that Jesus Christ came and died for me on the cross and he is the ultimate hope to all peoples, of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues, for all time. We must let the gospel speak into this and cast out our fear, cast out our anger and give us positions of grace and love while still standing firm on that which we must stand firm on. And trust that he will provide for us what we need personally. And I think these two things, these aren't just about clothing and food. All those are very important. And to be honest, 80% of the world, that's what they're more concerned about today than the things we are. Most people in the world are wondering if they will eat today. Um, We have have far, uh, we think our problems are a bit more complicated. I would say they probably really aren't that much more complicated. And that's why this text maybe is so simple but I think we can take these principles and take them far greater than food and clothing. That in all things, he is my provider and he will give me what I need. So, so in this, we, we must let the gospel speak in and trust that he will provide. We must stand for which he stands for. and We don't shrink away from having a voice. We must speak up on, on the matters of the gospel. We must be proclaimers of the good news first, of his justification. But we also must be proclaimers of justice. In, in regards to race, equality, crime, dignity of life, and on and on and on. We must have a voice, and we must be a voice, but it's not just a voice on justice. It's a it's a voice on justification. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The the greatest thing that any of us can do in this, in this room is to be messengers of the great news of the gospel. So what do we do? Well, I believe that in the day in which we find ourselves, I don't know, maybe some of you were in Boy Scouts or other thing. I remember hearing this a ton as I was growing up, was God and country. God and country, God and country. And in, in some ways, it's a bit of a confusing term because God and country, it's like I value God and equally value country. And we almost put God and country on the same pedestal. And in that, I my life. Some people kind of love country a little bit more than they love God, or some people love God more than they love country, or sometimes miss us. And I, I would just propose to us two new words to use rather than God and country, Christ and his kingdom. And then Christ and his kingdom better, better, better positions me and my position I take in faith. One, one it specifies my God in the, in the coming of Christ and the inauguration of a new kingdom on earth. And as I recognize Christ in his kingdom, and this becomes the primary focus of my life, setting my eyes on Jesus and allowing his kingdom to come rule and reign in my heart and life. What do I do is I recognize my primary citizenship, my mission to proclaim and stand firm in grace and truth, to see my mission field, our mission field, and gospel proclaimed right where we found ourselves in northeast Ohio. But I also require the righteousness of Christ to inform my positions. The sinless son of God revealed himself and his word. The Bible is our guide. It is truth. It is our sword. It is without error. It is intact, perfect. And it must be that which guides us. And we must allow it to inform our voting, our opinions, and most importantly, our posture, our kindness, and our grace, and our love in a world that is broken in need of a savior. And last, we must remember Christ and his promised provision. Trust him, trust him, trust him. So what do we do? We seek first the kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus, in our own hearts in greater ways. We seek his righteousness and let all of our opinions be filled with his truth and grace as it flows out from our lives in word and in deed. And we trust and we believe that all these things will be added to us. He will care for us. As we do, we pray, pray, pray for our nation. Pray for the brokenness in our world, the anger, the lying, and we hope for revival. So church, I would say today, what is our response in light of all that is happening in our world? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, we believe, we believe that you sent our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. We believe that his name is to be refer- revered and held higher than any other name. Jesus, we believe that at the, that your name, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess you. And as your church, as your as citizens of your kingdom, we bow our lives freshly before you today and say, "Jesus, reign and rule in our hearts and our lives. Help us to let go of our personal kingdoms and grab onto your kingdom would, with your ways. Would your truth inform us in how we live and where we stand and how we act? might the totality of that which you want to transform us in to increase and increase more and more in the days to come. Father, we trust you, and we believe that your ways are perfect. So today, would you increasingly have your way in us? Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, we're going to invite you to come down front. Maybe today you need to kneel down up at these altars and say, Jesus, I'm giving you authority to rule and reign in my heart again today, and you just bow down before him as king. Maybe today you want to pray for our nation, pray for someone else, but these altars are open every Sunday for you to come and you to pray and lay these things down before the Lord. Let's join together as we sing.